Welcome to Mytholadies, the podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, what have you been up to? How's it going? Um, I've been good. I think last time we talked, I was like about to graduate and now I have done so. Woo! So I have a bachelor's degree in linguistics. <laughs> that is so cool and very exciting Thank of you. you. Yeah, it was, it's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. So that's my life. How are you? I'm good. I've been a little stressed out because I have like this weird project for my German class this week, but I feel better about it today, which is great because I've been like dreaming about it, which is not good. Oh, that's that's how you know it's like really stressing you out. Yeah, like so I have to build a tiny house out of a shoebox. Why? And it's really hard to What does this have to do with German? She wants to do something fun with us and I'm like this isn't fun for me, but I, I appreciate <laughs> you trying, but I'm like really not having a good time right now. But she was basically like you need to create a narrative. So I'm like, okay, this house is the house of someone who does not believe in light or electricity. So therefore <laughs> we don't need windows or lamps. Genius. And we don't need to make those. So <laughs> And that's our narrative. So I'm excited about that now. I'm feeling okay. That's fun. But it's fun that you're taking German. I really want to learn German. German is really fun. And my German professor is super cool. She's a linguist and she's Ooh. really smart and tells us all sorts of interesting language facts. I love linguistics. I was going to say I love linguists. I obviously love linguistics. I have a degree in it. But uh-huh. anyway, yeah, me and my roommate are both linguists. So we always make little jokes that no one else would that's... find funny, which is a great time for us. That's so fun and nerdy of you. I, I love that. Yeah. All right, so Lizzie, it is our 40th episode, which is like crazy, Ooh. and it's also past our one-year anniversary, which we forgot about, but um, anyways, happy <laughs> one-year anniversary to us. Yay. It's been crazy, very um, fun. It's been great. I've been having a really great time. I have been too. Like, it's really great. I'm so happy people really actually like this. listen to us and like say that they really like the podcast. So I'm like, so it's not just us amusing ourselves. People actually like it. Yeah. And it's not just our friends who are like, yeah, yeah. or my or my mom. <laughs> it's really cool. But yeah, so our 40th episode, Lizzie, who do you have for us today? So today we're going again with the whole Halloween theme and we're going to do something a little bit different today. So we're going to talk about Bluebeard's Bride Ooh, from yes. World Folktales, but specifically France. But we're going to do three different versions. Okay. So Bluebeard, or Bluebeard's Bride, is a folktale thought to have originated in France, but that has many international variants as well. Do you know the story? Um. So vaguely, like, a woman is married to a man, and he's like, don't go into this room. And she goes into the room one day and finds out it's, like, the full of the corpses of all his previous brides. Yes, that's all correct. So um, the most well-known version is the one written by Charles Perrault in 1697 called La Barbe Bleue, which was part of his collection Histoire ou Contes du Temps Passé, or Stories or Tales from Past Times, which also included Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Little Red Riding Hood, and Puss in Boots. 
Mm-hmm. For anyone who might not know, Charles Perrault was a French writer from the 17th century who was credited as the creator of the modern fairy tale genre. Wow. So according to Encyclopedia Britannica, Perrault's version may have originated from Brittany and was likely inspired by the real-life serial killer Gilles de Rey, who lived in the 1400s and was a companion of arms of Joan of Arc. Um, and he was thought to have murdered at least 100 children aged 6 to 18 and was executed in 1440. My face is so frozen right now, but you just said so many things where I'm like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa, this is this is crazy. Yeah, Joan of Arc had a buddy who was a huge murderer. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I mean, Joan of Arc definitely killed people because she was like, a soldier. But like, but she um, didn't kill little kids, probably. That's true. But like, first of all, serial killer from the 1400s, which is wild Grim. that we like, know about that. <laughs> um, second of all, friends with Joan of Arc. Third of all, lots of dead children. Like, wow. Yeah, he was. it was like at least 100. Some people said like up to 300 children. Which is, that's so uh, many people. Which is horrible, so but many- it's kind of impressive. That's a huge number of people. I don't understand how we got it. I also don't understand. I don't know. But anyway, he was, was the 1400s. There was like no. It was crazy times back then. True that. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he also might have been inspired by the 6th century Breton ruler, Count Camor, also known as Camor the Cursed, who was a ruler widely known for his cruelty, and he had a number of wives who were found dead under mysterious circumstances. Ooh. And then there's also speculation that it could have been inspired by the life of Henry VIII. Well, And I don't think that's super well-founded but i do think it's interesting because i can totally see the connections yeah i can and, see the connections but it does it feels like a bit of a reach for me i mean it's i like, agree but i still thought it was fun so i thought i was still included oh i definitely think it's fun <laughs> i think it's fun to say and how 108 is kind of called like a bluebeard as well oh wait i didn't know that that's actually really interesting though yes yeah as i was researching this as we'll see like i found that like bluebeard is so applicable in so many circumstances and in so many like well-known stories you know mm-hmm. but anyway we'll talk about that later so okay. b- bluebeard tales occur in many forms and in many places in 2011 heidi ann heiner edited a collection of bluebeard folk tales from around the world which i used heavily as a reference for this episode and it includes 88 folk tales from a number of different countries though mostly in europe mm-hmm. and if that name sounds familiar to you it's because we talked about this author a little bit in the cinderella episode i was thinking like yes yeah that's someone we've heard of before she had a collection of Cinderella tales from around the world. She also has one for Bluebeard. She also has one for like Beauty and the Beast and uh, several other types of fairy tales, which is very I want to be her so bad. I know. Honestly, what a great job. Just like researching fairy tales and fairy tales and stuff. So do you remember about the ATU system? Yes. Do you remember what it was? It's a method of indexing different folklore stories throughout the world and like looking at common themes and motifs yeah exactly in order to figure out like similar stories exactly yeah it's a way of categorizing folk tales and fairy tales Mm -hmm. under common Mm -hmm. motifs and themes and so blueberry stories are typically classified as tale type 312 also known as the maiden killer or bluebeard but can also be classified as tale type 311 rescued by the sister or tale type 955 the robber bridegroom ah the robber bridegroom yes I know about that one. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's a really... So there's ATU, which mm-hmm. is for folklore, uh, and there's also a folk song at Index. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. And the Robber Bridegroom is like a popular folk song. There's a bunch of different iterations oh, of like really? Robber I didn't Bridegroom know that, folk songs. Yes. <laughs> it's really interesting. So, That's yeah. so fun. I don't know if you've heard of child ballads. I don't know a ton about them, nope. but they're basically a ton of like really common like folk ballads that were collected by this guy named child 
Oh. And one of them is the robber bridegroom. And I think they were, I, I don't know the details of this project, but he's basically collecting folk ballads from all across the British Isles, basically. That's cool. It's really interesting. There's like some playlists on Spotify of Ooh, all the ballads okay. if you want to listen to them. And like Anais Mitchell, um, who is famous for Town has like an album where she sings like a lot of them so that's fun yeah yeah we should have them sponsor us since we're giving them free pr anyway yeah we'll have mr child himself (laughs) sponsor us um (laughs) yeah so today i'm gonna tell you three blueberry stories from three different countries okay i'm gonna tell you first the one from perot from france then one from switzerland and then one from palestine nice yes get excited so first one le barbe bleu perot from So, there was once a very rich man with the finest houses and heaps of silver and gold. However, he was so unfortunate as to have a blue beard, which made all the women and girls run away from him in fear. He wished to take a new bride, and he had his eyes on the two beautiful daughters of his neighbor. Neither of the two daughters wished to marry him, both revolted by his blue beard, and even more so, anxious about the fact that he had several previous wives that mysteriously disappeared. Mm-hmm. Bluebeard took the two young ladies to his country estate, along with some other young people, in order to try to engage their affections. The group of them partied and feasted for a week, and at the end of the week, the youngest daughter started to think that marrying him wouldn't be so bad. Mm. They were married. And about a month into the marriage, Bluebeard announced to his wife that he had to take a six-week-long trip to take care of some very important matters, but that she should try to have a good time while he was gone. He gave her the keys to the rooms that had all of his money and fineries, but he also told her that there was a little closet at the end of the great gallery on the ground floor, and that she can go anywhere in the house she wishes and do whatever she wants except go into this little room. Hmm. If she opens it, she'll receive nothing but anger and resentment from him. She agreed, and he left on his journey. She invited friends over to see the house, but while they were busy admiring the lavishness of the house, she couldn't enjoy it because she was thinking about the little closet. She left her guests and walked down to the great gallery on the ground floor. She didn't want to disobey her husband, but her curiosity was too great to ignore. Because it only rhymed just there. (laughs) Nice. Didn't realize that. Anyway, she unlocked the door and went inside the little room. What she saw horrified her. The floors were covered in blood, and there were several corpses of women she realized were his previous wives. Oh my gosh. She was so frightened that she dropped the key, but then she picked it up and left the room, locking the door behind her. After she left, she realized that the key was covered in blood. She tried to wash it, but the blood didn't come off. Interesting. Yeah, the key was magical, and when the blood was gone from one side, it would reappear at the other side. That same evening, Bluebeard returned from his journey, saying that he learned on the road that the business he had to take care of had been solved, and his wife did her best to pretend that she was happy at his quick return. The next morning, he asked for the keys, and she gave them to him with shaking hands. He asked her why the key to the small closet wasn't among the rest, and she said she must have left it on the table. He asked her to bring it to him, and so she did. He asked why there was blood on the key, and she said she didn't know. Bluebeard said to her, I very well know. You were resolved to go into the closet, weren't you? Mighty well, madam. You shall go in and take your place among the ladies you saw there. Hmm. Yeah, so she threw herself at his feet and begged for his pardon, saying that she would never be disobedient again. But Bluebeard said that she must die. She said that since she must die, she would like some time to say her prayers. He said he would give her half a quarter of an hour and not a minute more. When she was alone, she called out to her sister, Anne, to see if she could see anyone coming on the horizon, because she'd expected her brothers to come that day. 
After a while, her sister said she saw several men coming on horseback. Bluebeard called her back down, and she went, crying, and threw herself at his feet. He took hold of her hair with one hand and his sword with another, about to behead her when there was a knocking on the door. Hmm. Two men entered with swords, and he knew them to be his wife's brothers. He ran away to save himself, but they pursued him and both ran their swords through him. He died, and he had no heirs, so his wife became the mistress of his estate. Good for her. Yeah, she used the money to marry her sister to a gentleman who had loved her for many years, to buy captain commissions for her brothers, and to marry herself to a very worthy gentleman who made her forget her time with Bluebeard. The end. Wow. (laughs) Initial thoughts? So I didn't, like, know how it ended, which is very interesting. I didn't know about the brothers part. Yeah. And there's definitely, like, obviously she's saved by her brothers, so she's saved by other men. Yeah. I think there's potentially the symbolism of ownership as in, like, Melina's property. Yes. And, like, the idea is that a woman goes from being the property of her father to being the property of the husband. And so, like, the brothers are, like, taking back their property. Definitely. Um, in this situation, which is interesting. I also uh, didn't realize that Bluebeard literally meant his beard was blue. Really? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, like, a metaphor or, like, it was some sort of expression. And so that's really interesting. You yeah, know, his beard um, is blue. Yeah, it's, I feel like it implies some level of wrong masculinity or tainted masculinity. No, definitely. I did read something somewhere saying that, like, at the time that this was published, like, in France, people didn't really have beards. The fact that Bluebeard had a beard at all kind of showed that he was all, I don't know, like, rugged and yeah. unnatural and, you know, barbarian-esque. What's the word for that? Barbaric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is also interesting that if he's different in the style and has a beard and then there's the question i guess of maybe some xenophobia of like oh he looks like the outsiders yeah i mean definitely definitely i mean i will say i didn't i didn't put this in my notes but there were adaptations of bluebeard after the fact that made him like middle eastern Mm. where the other characters were just like white french people so that kind of goes to show you yeah yeah there's definitely some other a lot of otherness going on with the character of bluebeard i think that the question of obedience is obviously a very interesting one Mm -hmm. it reminds me a bit of like the fall of man to be honest because it's like there's you can go anywhere you can do everything except for this one thing no exactly and of course you're just like oh well that's the one thing i want to do now like if he hadn't said anything maybe she just wouldn't have gone there exactly (laughs) also like the key showing blood is like you can't hide that you've been disobedient or whatever and exactly keys are also phallic symbols uh, oh yeah no i read that a bit but i was like eh, whatever yeah (laughs) yeah anyway i have to say i find it kind of interesting that the only character in this story who has a name is the sister Anne. Mm. i mean bluebeard is not i assume not his real name yeah but at least he gets kind of an epithet whereas his bride doesn't get a name or a nickname which is interesting although in some versions she actually does have a name that's so true Mm-hmm. But not in this version. Should we go to the next one? Let's go to the next one. So this is from Switzerland. It's called Night Goldbeard. Mm. So once upon a time in Vispertal, a valley in the Valais can- canton of Switzerland, a proud knight appeared on a black horse. His saddle was trimmed with gold thread and his reins were made of the finest red leather. His helmet was made of silver and adorned with eagle feathers. And on his face was a beard that appeared to be made of gold. Mm. All the girls in the village were enamored of him and he charmed them with flattering words and expensive gifts. He lived in the largest house in the village, which belonged to a family with one adult son and three beautiful daughters. The two eldest daughters were despised for their arrogance, but the youngest daughter was honored for her modesty and beauty. The knight told each of the three sisters that she was his sweetheart and told them each that it was a secret and not to tell the others. His room was located above the youngest sister's room, and every morning when he awoke, 
she would hear three voices singing, more beautiful than any voice she had ever heard. After he told her that she would be his bride, she asked if he could teach her to sing like the beautiful voices she heard, and he agreed that he would, and that he would take her on a walk into the forest tomorrow and teach her. Hmm. However, he also made the same promise to the other two sisters. What do you think is going to happen now? (laughs) So he promised that they were all going to go for a walk with the three sisters? Yeah, but separate walks. Oh, he's going to kill them all. Yeah, no. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Spoiler. Anyway, early the next morning, he took, I mean, I asked you. Too genre savvy. (laughs) (laughs) No, you kind of are, though. Early the next morning, he took the eldest sister to the forest and told her to kneel down. Then he tied a rope around her neck and hung her from a tree. He went back to the village and brought the second sister along with him to the forest and did the same thing to her, hanging her from the same tree next to her sister. Wait. Yeah. Sorry, did she not see the other sister? No, I guess not. She was distracted by a gold beard. I don't know. Well, I guess he must have been very handsome. (laughs) Well, yeah. After lunchtime, he brought the youngest sister out for a walk. He ordered her to kneel down. She folded her hands and looked up into the sky where she saw her sisters hanging dead from the tree. She screamed and begged for mercy, but he told her she had to die. She asked if she could be allowed the three screams before he killed her. He told her that Mm. she could shout whatever she wanted and it wouldn't make a difference. They were deep in the forest and they couldn't be heard from the village. She cried out, Father, come quickly, come very soon, or I must die in the woods. Nothing happened other than a bird singing on a branch overhead. She cried next, Mother, come quickly, come very soon, or I must die in the woods. In the distance, a horn could be heard, but nothing really happened. Hmm. Then she let out her third cry. Brother, come quickly, come very soon, or I must die in the woods. Night Goldbeard unfolded the news. Suddenly, her brother crashed through the woods, having heard her cry while hunting. He shouted to Night Goldbeard to let his sister live. He pulled out his gun and shot the knight through the head. He pulled his sister up and took her home, telling her to never again trust a knight. The next day, the slain <laughs> out. The next day, the slain sisters were buried in the cemetery. The end. Wow. Okay. Um. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I like how he's kind of blaming her a little. Like, this is your fault for trusting a knight. <laughs> yeah. It's like never trust a knight. All you girls listening to this story, never, <laughs> yeah. never trust. You know, Which it was I mean, also the gun. The gun really threw me. Me too, because I thought it was kind of an earlier time than there were guns, yeah. because they call him a knight, and I feel like knights inherently are associated with, like, swords, yeah. you know? I feel like it was, like, sword yeah. times, but I don't know. I think it's just really funny that he <laughs> yeah. just, like, pulled out a gun. <laughs> it's like, okay. I know. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was hunting, uh, I guess, but... Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's just like, oh, so guns are a thing. Yeah, new new uh, era now. <laughs> now we have guns. Yeah, it's just sort of like the meme that's like X piece of media, but if X person had a gun, yeah. it's like, oh, the brother had a gun. Uh, so that reminded me a lot more of like the Robert Bridegroom yeah. uh, stories because that I feel like that often involves like leading the woman into the woods and then killing her. Yeah, and then her having to sort of figure out what to do next and often being yeah. saved by someone else. Mm-hmm. Also, there seems to be more aspect of desire there because apparently the knight is very handsome and everyone actually likes him, which is very different from Bluebeard. Yeah, whereas Bluebeard was revolting yeah. and everyone hated him and yeah. he was just like really rich though. Which is interesting, like he was meant to be desirable and he charmed everyone and he gave them gifts and flattered all the ladies, you know? Yeah, so it's really interesting that he's the bad guy because that sort of, you know, it goes against the expectation of like, this True. is what a, what a bad guy is versus mm-hmm. what a good guy is. Like everyone thinks he would be the right one. 
then also we obviously have like the I can't remember kind sister yeah yeah yeah. kind girls and unkind girls kind girl unkind girl I never remember what it's called um dichotomy where it's like oh well the two older sisters are known to be evil the two arrogant arrogant so they died (laughs) so they died sucks to suck I guess but um the younger girl she was so nice and pure so she survived you know yeah which is always interesting (laughs) so are you ready for the next one yes so this one's from palestine it's called zarendak and abu Frewar. cool so there was once a poor woodcutter who had a wife and three daughters one day while working in the forest a stranger stopped to talk to him when the stranger learned he had three daughters he persuaded the woodcutter to give him her eldest daughter in marriage in exchange for a large sum of money the next day he brought his eldest daughter to a certain cave and gave her over to the stranger who said that his name was Abu Frewar. Hmm. As soon as the woodcutter was gone, Abu Frewar said to her, he must be hungry, eat these, and took out a knife and cut off both of his ears, which he offered to her along with a loaf of black bread. Wow, interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, so she refused the food, so he hung her up by the hair from the ceiling of a chamber in the cave. Well. Which sounds so painful. I feel like it just wouldn't work. I mean, I feel like you'd probably get your scalp ripped off. Well, he had really strong hair. Yeah. But oh well. The next day, Abu Frewar went back to the forest and found the woodcutter, saying that he wanted the second daughter for his brother and offering money once again. The woodcutter brought his second daughter to the cave, and Abu Frewar gave him his ears to eat as they had grown anew. She said that she was not hungry, but that she would eat them later. When he left the room, she tried hiding the ears under a carpet. When he returned and asked if she had eaten them, she said yes. So he called out, ears of mine, are you hot or cold? And his ears answered, cold as ice and lying under the carpet. Mm. So Abu Frewar hung the second sister up by her hair next to the eldest sister. I have to say, I find it interesting that he doesn't say, ears of mine, where are you? He says, are you hot or cold? Yeah. Just uh, a little odd. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things happening here. I mean, they could be somewhere warm, but not in someone's stomach. Yeah. Also, the ear thing. Yeah, I mean, the cutting off the ear and them growing back, like, that's an interesting trait. That's interesting. Like, okay. It's a little odd, but Mm -hmm. that's the appeal of fairy tales. Whimsy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's just like, oh. Interesting. Who thought of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he then went and asked for the youngest sister, whose name was Zarendok, saying that he wanted her for another brother. Zarendok, however, was a spoiled child and refused to go unless she could take her kitten and a box of her belongings. Mm. Hugging those, she went to the cave with Abu Frewar. When Abu Frewar offered her the ears, she gave them to the cat to eat while she ate some food that she brought from home. When he asked, ears of mine, are you hot or cold? The ears replied, as hot as can be in this snug little stomach. And so Zarendok was allowed to live. Wow. So she's smart. After living with him for some time, Abu Frewar told her that he had to go on a journey and gave her the keys to all the rooms in their home. He said to her that there are 40 rooms in the palace and that she may enter any that she likes except that to which this golden key belongs. And with that, he departed. Zarendok amused herself by opening and exploring the rooms of the house. When she entered the 39th, She looked out the window to see a burial ground, and her husband, who was a ghoul, devouring a corpse that he dug from the ground with his long, claw-like nails. She watched as her husband dug up graves and ate people, and she watched as he hid himself behind a grave as a funeral procession approached, and one of the pallbearers said that they should leave as soon as possible so the ghoul of this cemetery doesn't kill them. Oh. Oh, I forgot to mention that the cave turned into a beautiful palace. Yeah, 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a bit important. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Zerendok was then anxious to know what was in the 40th room, so she took out the golden key and opened the door. Inside the room were her two sisters, still alive and dangling from the ceiling by their hair. Oh. She cut them down, fed them and nursed them, and then sent them back home to her parents. Abu Freyar returned the next day, but left for a new journey again only a few days later, telling her that she could invite any of her friends and family that she wanted to see. So she invited many of her friends and relatives who came to see her, but she didn't tell them about her troubles. This proved to be smart because it turned out that her guests weren't who they appeared to be, but rather her husband in various forms trying to trick her. Really? Yes. Interesting. In the end, he took the form of her grandmother, and Zerendok began to tell of her sorrows. Then the old woman became Abu Frewar, who took a poisoned nail and drove it into Zerendok's chest. Oh. She didn't immediately die, and Abu Frewar put her into a trunk and sank it at sea. Mm. I have to say, kind of Rasputin vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're so... <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> anyway, so the son of the sultan of this land was fond of boating and fishing and happened to cast a large net where the trunk was laying at the bottom of the sea. He hauled the trunk onto the boat and was shocked to find the body of Zarendok. He had her body carried to his mother's chamber to be prepared for burial. During the process, the nail was removed from her chest, causing Zarendok to come back to life. Oh. This story kind of, like, keeps on going, you know? That's not the end. Yeah. That's not the end. Oh, my. Yeah, so she married the prince and had his children. But the story doesn't end there. I'm just going to tell you, like, kind of a summary of the other events of okay. the story. Because we got kind of the main part already. So, yeah. Abu Frewar stole and swallowed each of Zarendok's three children. And then Zerendok was blamed and accused of devouring her own offspring, and no one would believe her when she told them what had happened. She oh. was imprisoned and was going to stab herself with a dagger when Abu Frewar appeared with her children and told her not to kill herself, and then made a magic staircase that connected her prison cell with her hall of the palace and stabbed himself with a dagger instead, killing himself. Whoa. Yeah, unexpected. Whoa. I feel like he's the only bluebeard that I read about that actually killed himself. Yeah. Anyway, the children told their father what happened, and he took Zerendok back and swore to be true to her forever. Okay. And they all lived happily ever after at the end. Okay. <laughs> That one's so interesting. It just keeps on going, and there's so many, there's like... There's so much. She has, oh like, my. three different tests she has to pass. Yeah. She has first the ear thing, then the bluebeard chamber thing, and then the, like, not telling her secrets to people thing. Yeah. And then it doesn't even end when she marries the prince. He just keeps haunting her life. Yeah. Oh. It's very interesting. That's really interesting. Is it very much then, like, kind of, like, an abusive relationship, you know? Yeah, like... And it's interesting that he is going after her until she actually tries to kill herself. And then he's like, no, 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 don't. I will, you know? It's just really interesting. I'm having trouble understanding his motivation at the end. I mean, me too. I have to say, I don't understand it, but I do find it kind of fun. Yeah. In a morbid, odd way. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like there's some Snow White vibes going on here too, because of the prince brings her back to life by taking oh, the true. poison nail out. Like, that feels kind of Snow White-ish. I don't know what the ATU like, list for Snow White stories is, but... True, yeah. That feels... You never know. I was thinking of Rumpelstiltskin, because, like, after she got married, then he goes after her children, being like, mm -hmm. I want your firstborn, you know? And then yeah. her subsequent two children as That's well. That's true, too. Just a, just a lot going on here. The ghoul thing probably explains the ear thing, to be honest. Yeah, you know, he was a, he was a ghoul. He was, like, he was a supernatural being. Yeah. Unlike Night Goldbeard and Bluebeard. Yeah. Well, actually, Bluebeard is sometimes classified as, like, a supernatural being, but he's not necessarily, like... Interesting. Kind of seems human, but... Anyway... 
point is, I don't know, actually. But you know what I thought was kind of fun when I was <laughs> reading a bit about it? Like, there were a lot of different beard colors. Like, there was a red beard. There was a green beard. Do you think that the beard colors, like, probably correspond to, like, you know, what's weird and exotic for the area? Right. I guess that's true. I mean, one of the re- at least one red beard was from France as well, um, as well as blue beard. I think green beard was from Lithuania. Gold mm-hmm. beard is the one from Switzerland. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of different fun little beard colors. Yeah. Although red isn't that weird because people are red- redheaded. But anyway, anyway, what are your just overall thoughts on blue beard as a genre folktale? Well, it's just a really interesting story. I feel like it's both a thing that sort of validates the fears of women about marriage, but also kind of reinforces a lot of ideas about marriage as well, because it's sort of like Mm -hmm. you're being married to the strange man. You may or may not really like him, or you might be going into the woods with this guy and you might like him, but you don't really know what's going to happen. Like you could be at risk. Mm-hmm. And so Definitely. I feel like it's sort of a story about basically the dangers of marriage and how like sometimes men can be dangerous towards women, like especially yeah. like in a time when a lot of marriages were arranged, especially if you're being married to nobility or someone who's wealthy. And marriage was more of an exchange of property yeah. rather than anything else. Like you really don't know what you're getting into and you could exactly. be marrying someone who has murdered all his past wives and keeps them in a room in his palace. Exactly, and, and also I feel like with the story of Night Goldbeard, there's basically also the question of if you go into the woods with a strange guy, do you have a good time in the woods? Like, is that going to destroy you in a different way because of your reputation or True. pregnancy and stuff? And so there's also that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it interesting that in the Perot version, like underneath the story, he wrote something about good thing husbands aren't like this anymore. But like it was published in 1697. Like, of course, mm-hmm. that was still a huge fear and like something that still happened. I mean, even now, domestic abuse abuse still happens yeah like it's not something that just goes away really yeah even if it was maybe more applicable Mm -hmm. many centuries ago yeah and i think also the question of like obedience in the french story she's like begging him to forgive her and he's like no because you disobeyed me and she's like i'll never be disobedient again and like mm-hmm. that is just really interesting and sad to sort of be. I mean, I totally agree. The idea of like, if you're disobedient to your husband, he might kill you, you know? Exactly. But also like, it's not, Bluebeard is not portrayed in a positive light. No. So it's not necessarily condoning that sort of behavior, but it's also sort of being like, this might happen. Uh-oh. Exactly. Hope you have some cool, tough brothers to back you up. You know, like I mean, it's definitely moralistic, but not in the sense of don't kill your wives or somebody will kill you. Yeah. But in the sense of, you know, don't be curious. Curiosity killed the cat. Don't be disobedient to your husband kind of thing. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, if she hadn't gotten into the room, he probably wouldn't have killed her. But also, is there... That's debatable. Yeah, I guess it is debatable. But also, like, is there a situation in which she wouldn't have gone into the room? Like, probably not. At some point, she probably would have gone into the room and then he would have killed her. The question was just when. Exactly. And then I also think that the last story is very interesting because it sort of subverts the kind, unkind girls narrative because he said Zarendok is, like, mean and selfish. Yeah, she was said to be spoiled in whatever... Which is such a weird judgment to make because she's the one who outsmarts him yeah. well, at first and then ends up actually succeeding. Uh-huh. And, you know, the sisters also lived, but they weren't the one who married the son of the sultan, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting little judgment to make about her. Yeah, it definitely is. I think it's just because maybe they needed a reason for her to make it past the first test. Or a reason for her to bring her cat, you know? Yeah, you know, just be like, well, 
this is how she gets past the first test is because she's so mean and selfish. She won't eat the ears, but she'll feed him to her cat and it'll work and stuff like that. I don't know. Food genies of her to do that, though. Mm-hmm. You know, cats do kind of eat anything. Not all cats. Depends on the cat. My sister's cat doesn't eat. It really does depend on the cat, yeah. I had a cat who ate literally anything. It was really weird. <laughs> he would have eaten human ears. Anyway, so after Perrault's Bluebeard was published, it became massively popular in France and then elsewhere as translations were published. It was adapted into operas, plays, and poetry, and was distributed widely by oral traditions as well. Heidi and Heiner points out the fact that the tale of Bluebeard has diminished popularity in recent times, especially compared to how widespread it was until relatively recently. One reason could potentially be the fact that it's a combination of fairy tale and horror, which isn't really thought to be suitable for today's children. In the present day, fairy tales are still part of our cultural consciousness, but they take up a really different place in our culture. Back in the day, fairy tales served the purpose of entertainment, but also served to teach children caution and generally to scare them and teach them life lessons. But nowadays, they serve the primary form of entertainment, I would say. Mm-hmm. So a fairy tale with horror elements appeals less to today's children or today's parents. The tale hasn't really adapted well to modern times, though that's not to say that it's completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of thinking, like, I feel like a lot of fairy tales, depending on which adaptation or iteration you're using, can have horror elements, but it's really hard to make a Disney movie out of this. Exactly, yeah. So that's probably one of the reasons. I mean, modern fairy tales tend to be the really happy, whimsical, like, you know, women who are beautiful and men who are like handsome princes and that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that yeah, sells. There's not really a love story. In that here. too, yeah. So I told a few people the topic of today's episode. Um, I told them like that it was Bluebeard's Bride and each of them asked what the tale was about. So they didn't recognize it by name. But when I described it to them, they were like, oh... Because even if the story and its variants aren't necessarily told explicitly the way other fairy tales are, the story is still known to people. Mm-hmm. Which goes to show its timelessness. Let's mm-hmm. say. Bluebeard is referenced or alluded to in many works of art and literature. Bluebeard was explicitly referenced in Jane Eyre and Stephen King's The Shining. The old Hollywood movies Gaslight and Rebecca are variants on this tale and some recent really? adaptations. Yeah. I didn't realize Rebecca was an adaptation of Bluebeard, but that makes a lot of s- Wait, that makes total sense. Wait. I mean, yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. Wait. She's kind of oh. like haunted by the ex-wife, you know? Yeah. I haven't seen Rebecca recently, but um, yeah. that's what I remember about it. That's very interesting. Wow. Anyway, continue. And um, some recent adaptations include the 2015 movies Ex Machina and Crimson Peak. Did you see other Wait, of those movies? No. Yeah. What? I I <laughs> so have you're seen like blowing my mind. I right know. Now. When I read the thing about Ex Machina, I was like, whoa, I did not think of that. But I have seen Ex Machina. It totally makes sense. I mean, like a guy who's just like all haunted by everything and like women who are like, I don't know. But I haven't seen Crimson Peak, but um and the tale is referenced in an episode of the TV shows Hannibal and You. Um, which are both about killers. And, you know, you was kind of like a Bluebeard, at least season one, I haven't seen season two, but it's a very Bluebeard-esque kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Spoilers for the show. But she kind of stumbles upon his little torture room and then he is like, you shouldn't have seen this and now you have to die. And then he kills her, so. Wow, I had no idea that happened in the show. I thought it was just about a guy who was stalking a woman. Wait, have you not seen that? No. Yeah, he was stalking her. Oh, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> That's fine, I had no plans on watching it. Fair enough. <laughs> and authors that have referenced or adapted this tale include Edna St. Vincent Millay, Joyce Carol Oates, Margaret Atwood, Angela Carter, Beatrix Potter, Kurt Vonnegut, Charles Dickens, and Carmen Maria Machado. Yes. Didn't know about the last one. Yeah, I, I included her. I don't think she's as famous as the other authors, but I like um, She's famous the book. to me. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> 
and I enjoyed Into the Dream House, which is the book yeah. that references this. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but going further, I would say that Bluebeard stories survive into modern horror, even without direct references. I mean, I think you can see this by the list of the stuff that I just listed. Like mm-hmm. so many things are inspired by Bluebeard, either directly or indirectly. Like it's a really mm-hmm. timeless story type, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I read was that Bluebeard and other folktales can be seen as a predecessor to modern cinematic horror. They both rely on community's collective fears, and Bluebeard can be seen as laying the foundation for a number of horror tropes, such as the killer fueled by rage, the final girl who must escape, mm-hmm. and motif of the home as a place where horrifying things occur. Love it. I know. In a way, there's nothing more horrifying than realizing that you aren't safe in your own home. Yeah. I mean, another thing I was thinking about is even if you sort of take away the original story in the French version of Bluebeard, when it's like, well, she kind of felt a bit weird about Bluebeard. If it's like, even if it's someone you like love and you're moving in with them, there's still like the lingering fear that you don't 100% know this person because you can't 100% know someone. And so even if you do move in with someone, you feel like you love them you feel like you trust them. They could have a room in their back that's full of dead bodies of the people that they love. Exactly. I mean, it's a common fear. It's like a perfectly rational fear, even in modern time. That is to say, get out as a modern day Bluebeard adaptation. Really? Oh, actually, I haven't, I've been meaning to watch it. Oh, I'm it makes sense to me. But anyways. But I'll, I'll watch it, though. Anyway, so do you remember like two months ago when we were talking about horror? You, me, and our other friend Zane. Yes. So I was actually looking back on our messages because I was remembering this as I was reading the notes. And I'm going to quote you something that you said. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think horror is a really interesting and really great genre for exploring trauma in a way that's both super validating and ultimately quite healing. I think that horror is a really great way of showing the ways in which society is fucked up in a way that's very meditative, but also very real. And all my favorite horror has some level of healing to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was asking you and our other friend, Zane, about like what the appeal of horror is to you, because I was really interested because you guys are both really into horror. Mm-hmm. And you were saying this, and I've been thinking about that since then, just the extent to which there are things that you can explore in horror that mm-hmm. you can't really in other genres. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that at the time when Perot's Bluebeard was published, but also in the time when international variants like Night Goldbeard and Zarendak were being told, the things that Bluebeard's bride faces were very real fears for women and very horrifying, and hearing the story must be somewhat validating, especially seeing as most, if not all, Bluebeard stories do end happily. And the Bluebeard character is killed and the female protagonist remarries and lives happily. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like generally speaking, like I've just been kind of getting a new respect for horror as a genre like thinking about it in this way like it can (laughs) like it can be a really great way to explore societal themes and like criticize societal whatever and also exploring trauma and like healing and Mm -hmm. a way that's hard to do in other genres you know yeah i think that's a really interesting connection to this story. Yeah, I think Bluebeard is a classic example of this. I mean, first of all, it does obviously explore trauma and there's so many different ways of like adapting it and like reading it and analyzing it that I think really explain why it's so timeless and has been adapted so, so many times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a great story. It is. It's really interesting. I feel like there's so much you can do with it. Mm-hmm. There really is. No, I I was reading a bunch of stuff for today's episode and I was like, there is no way that I could ever go into depth about like everything that I've read. Like it would take hours and hours. Mm-hmm. There's so much to take away from Bluebeard and from Bluebeard adaptations. And something I came across in Marie Tatar's book, The Classic Fairy Tales, is the fact that Bluebeard is really the only well-known fairy tale that depicts the prospect of marriage as, quote, an institution haunted by the threat of murder. Yeah. Some other fairy tales do touch upon the fact that marriage can be a scary prospect 
for women, but most end up showing that there is ultimately nothing to be afraid of. So like Beauty and the Beast, for example, Mm -hmm. is in a way the opposite of Bluebeard because the protagonist begins by fearing the Beast and ends up falling in love with him and living happily. Whereas Bluebeard's bride begins the marriage in relative confidence for safety and ends realizing that she was in a lot of danger and only narrowly escaping it. Mm-hmm. Stories like Beauty and the Beast may have been reassuring to women who feared marriage, but Blueberry would have been validating to women who had this very justifiable fear and to women who were actually living in situations of domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it is actually hopeful since it has a happy ending and states that Bluebeard's bride lived so happily that she forgot her time with Bluebeard. Yeah. And like you said, Bluebeard does a great job of exploring this fear that women had to live with and making a statement about society as well as offering some healing to the protagonist as well, which are themes that are well suited to horror more so than another genre, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I also just feel like this story, it really does examine the issue of like trauma and abuse. I mentioned earlier about how Zarendok is just being haunted throughout her life until the end. And even with the original story, which it doesn't really talk about it as much, it's just sort of like, oh, she forgot about him. But that sort of implies that she was remembering him for a while Yeah. until at some point she was able to forget about him with the husband that she eventually had, who was really great. And I think that even that sort of subtle acknowledgement or like those implications are really interesting and powerful. Definitely. Because a lot of the times, like, some really crazy stuff happens in fairy tales that is like, wow, this is messed up. And a lot of the time, it's just kind of like, okay, well, they lived happily ever after. Or like, oh, she married. You have to imagine that Bluebeard's bride had to deal with years of drama and, like, yeah, nightmares and, like, everything. Yeah. Like, it must have been horrifying to live with the aftermath of that happening to you mm-hmm. yeah and like even just saying like oh she forgot about him is in a way to be feels like addressing the fact that what she went through was really awful even though she's happy now and that's really cool yeah i agree there are several elements to bluebeard that make it so timeless and so universally horrifying first there's a specific breed of horror that comes along with the realization that you aren't safe in your own home secondly there's the horrors that come along with marriage which are certainly less applicable in modern times but i mean as we were saying still Mm -hmm. relevant but that would have especially been relevant at the time Perot's tale was published in the subsequent centuries afterwards. Thirdly there's the incredibly timeless motif of human curiosity being punished. Mm -hmm. So the story of Bluebeard's Bride has been compared to the story of Adam and Eve and the Cupid and Psyche and Pandora from Greek mythology. We talked about a very similar theme in our episode about the crane wife from Japanese folklore. Yeah. When I was researching this episode I was thinking a lot about the differences between Bluebeard and the crane wife. So both stories involve someone telling their spouse not to intrude on their secret and the spouse disobeying and seeking out their secret anyway. Mm -hmm. Both stories could be read as either a condemnation of human curiosity or a simple description of what happens when one party in a marriage has a secret and keeping that secret is unsustainable. I personally want to go further and see stories such as Bluebeard, Adam and Eve, Pandora, Keyword and Psyche, and The Crane Wife, not as moralistic necessarily, but rather as a description of human nature. The pursuit of knowledge is the most natural and human thing in the world. It isn't a moral transgression to seek out knowledge or to want to know the truth of your spouse. And I don't know, just like to me, reading stories like this as this means don't be curious. It's not necessarily about you need to take away a lesson from this. It's about this is how humans just naturally are. Mm-hmm. If somebody told you not to go in the room or they'll be mad at you, there's no way that you're not going to go in that room. Yeah. I mean, even if it wasn't like the next day, it would be, you know, in a couple of years. I mean, it would drive you crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. In essence, Bluebeard knew when he asked his wife not to open up the little closet that she would do it and that asking her not to would be a sure way for her to do it. Mm -hmm. He never intended to keep the secret from her. 
if he wanted to hide his secret, he could have disposed of the bodies or hidden the key to the room separate to the other keys. Mm-hmm. Or he could have not taken a new wife so there wouldn't be someone to see the room in the first place. Yeah. He didn't want to kill her as a punishment for finding out the truth about him because he didn't try very hard to conceal it. Mm-hmm. He wanted to kill her because he hates women and loves killing them. It was always his design to kill her, and if she had actually obeyed him, he would have surely found another reason to kill her. Yeah. One can imagine Bluebeard using this exact method on his previous wives in order to torture them a little before killing them. He acts like he has to kill her, as he killed his other wives, but obviously he likes killing women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She didn't do anything wrong in this scenario. No, she definitely didn't. Um, Knight Goldbeard and Abu Frewar differ in this regard in that they actually do attempt to keep their secret before killing the protagonist. I would argue this is all like different ways of interpreting the stories but mm-hmm. their stories revolve around trying to manipulate the girls and set them up for tests that they are meant to fail before killing them but they were thwarted by the protagonist being smart enough to escape yeah i wanted to include them in today's episode as well as the pro version to show the range of blueberry stories and I read several in preparation for today's episode, and even though the Perot version is definitely the most prolific and well-known version, the fact that there are so many international variants show the relevance of these types of stories, as well as the fact that stories like Bluebeard continue to fascinate us, irrespective of location or time period. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting that it's such a prolific tale. It's very so different from Cinderella and like the yes. themes of Cinderella. And so the fact that there's so many different versions of it also around the world is really interesting because it's a very different type. And it just, I really feel like it set the scene for modern horror, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Like there's so many stories that could be said to be a retelling of Bluebeard, even if they're not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, like there's so many different examples because it's, it's just a really timeless theme, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, you know, you read the Wikipedia page, there's like a million different examples. I just included some of them Mm -hmm. and there's so many different ways you could interpret it and analyze it for sure well thank you so much for all that lizzie that was a super fun episode it was i feel like i learned a lot and i had my mind blown a few times i thought that you would like it yeah so that was super cool very spooky and thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed it please make sure to subscribe leave us a review tell all your friends and have a great week we'll see you in two weeks thank you the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.